Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Amen. Well, good morning, church family, and thank you, Andrew and Ben, for leading us in worship today. What an awesome declaration that I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. And the fact is today that whatever circumstance you might be facing, that we can praise our way through the storm and worship the Lord in it. And that's exactly where we're headed in the message today. Well, for the past two weeks, we have been in a sermon series called Worship 1, 2, 3. Worship 1, 2, 3. And two weeks ago, uh, two Sundays ago, we saw that there is one object of worship, that our worship should be solely directed to the Lord and we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. And last Sunday, we saw that there are two contexts of worship, worship gathered and worship scattered. And we saw that when we gather together, we are to sacrifice our pride and our preferences and our time for the good of others. And as we saw, worship is bigger than singing. It's, it's even bigger than our Sunday services. Worship is something that extends into our everyday lives. And so when we scatter to our various places of work and school and uh, neighborhoods, we are to continue to worship throughout our week. Well, today is the final message in that series, and we'll see that there are three audiences of worship, three audiences of worship. And at first, that may sound a little strange to you. Aren't we supposed to worship for an audience of one? Isn't our worship supposed to just be directed to the Lord? Well, you'd be right. Yes, yes it is. But the reality is, is that when we worship, others are watching. And I don't necessarily mean when you're driving your car and you crank Caleb up and you're getting your praise on. Yes, other people are probably watching you then too. But that, that's not what I mean. I, I mean that when we worship, we set an example for others, both for our fellow believers in Christ, and also those who don't yet know Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, we have three audiences of worship, the Lord, the church, and the world. And today, we're going to see all three of those audiences illustrated in a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts 16, we, we read a story about two faithful followers of Christ, the apostle that Paul and Silas, they, they got themselves in some pretty hot water. And we all know that our actions have consequences, whether we're going a little too fast down the highway or whether we shoot off our mouth in a meeting at work that, you know, we can get in trouble for the things that we do. But in this instance, Paul and Silas did absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, they were punished for doing good. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever done the right thing and then suffered consequences because of that? I remember one semester in college, um, I was going to pay my tuition bill at the registrar's office, and so I went in, and, and I went up to the clerk, and I gave her my credit card, and, and she was like, you don't owe me anything. And I was like, what? 
And she was, yeah, no, your tuition for the semester has been covered. And I was like, sweet, but why? And she explained to me that I had received a scholarship, and so I didn't need to pay my tuition for that semester. And I was really excited about it, but also really confused, because I felt like if I had gotten a scholarship, I probably would have known about it. And so in that moment, I had a decision to make. I could either just shut my mouth and keep the money and just enjoy the free ride, or I could investigate a little further and find out what actually happened. And so I decided to investigate. So I went to the School of Music, and I kind of explained what had happened here and that I got this scholarship, and they were not nice about it. They blamed me. They were like, this scholarship, you took it from one of our teaching assistants. They were supposed to get this, and now it's all messed up, and they were upset at me. I was just trying to do the right thing. I was just trying to come forward, and I, I tried to explain. I had nothing to do with it, but nevertheless, it was somehow my fault. Well, maybe for you, it was being honest in a business transaction when your boss wanted you to conduct a shady deal. Maybe it was being made fun of because you wouldn't participate with your friends in something that was sinful. And maybe it was being passed over for a job because you wouldn't work on Sunday mornings. Well, even in the midst of a difficult or unfair situation, Paul and Silas chose to worship. And through their example in Acts 16, we can learn how worship can bless those three audiences can bless the Lord, it can bless our fellow believers, and it can bless the world around us. And before we read our passage together in Acts chapter 16, I want to give you a little context for what's going on in the life of the Apostle Paul. Towards the end of Acts 15, we see that Paul is about to set out on his second missionary journey. And Paul's intent with this trip was to go back to the churches that he had established in his first missionary journey and encourage and strengthen them. But as we read, God had other plans. And I have a, a map up here, and, and we can see on his second missionary journey, so he did head out from Jerusalem, and he made his way to Antioch, which was one of the churches that he had established previously. Um, and so he did start out on his journey, and he did start um, making his way to churches that were previously established. So he made his way to, to Antioch, to Derb, to Lystra, and to Iconium. But then something happened, and Paul received a vision from the Lord to go to the region of Macedonia and to preach the gospel there. And so you can see on the map in the top left corner, you see Macedonia all the way over there. And that is what is modern day Greece. So instead of continuing to visit all these established churches, God was calling Paul to plant some new churches. And Macedonia was uncharted territory for the apostle Paul. And it was actually his first venture onto European soil. So, so Paul and Silas, they set sail for Macedonia and, and they make their way to a place called Philippi, which was a leading city in Macedonia and also a Roman colony and military center. And when they arrived, however, they didn't get such a warm reception. And so we're going to pick up our story in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. So if you're physically able, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. So Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16, it says this. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who is bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. And following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. 
She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's pause here for a minute. So what just happened to Paul and Silas was completely illegal. They were not given a trial. They were charged with bogus accusations. And they got thrown into the stocks in the inner prison. And that cell would have likely had no light and no fresh air except when the door was open. And essentially, Paul and Silas, they're put into solitary confinement here. Well, why? Because the owner of the slave girl, they were smart. And they didn't appeal to the magistrates based on their lost profit. They appealed to them on anti-Jewish sentiments and nationalistic Roman pride. Things they knew would rouse the crowd. Talk about unfair. So let's continue reading together in verse 25. It says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. No, it doesn't say that. It says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to the truth of this scripture today, God. And as we see the example of Paul and Silas, God, I just pray that that we would learn from that as they worshiped through an unfair situation, through a trial in their lives. And God, I just pray that you would teach us to do the same today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, what an incredible story. We see in verse 25 that Paul and Silas didn't groan or complain about their circumstances. They praised the Lord. And as a result, God did incredible things. He set prisoners free both physically and spiritually. And it seems that Paul and Silas remembered Psalm 42 that says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. 
The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, it is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. And today we'll see three audiences that hear our songs in the night. And the first point in our message today and the first blank in your worship guide is that the Lord hears my songs. The Lord Here's my songs. And we're going to camp out here for a little while. We're going to see three additional things that we can learn from the story of Paul and Silas when we worship our audience of one through our trials. And after we look at those three subpoints, we'll move on to our second audience of worship. Well, our first and our primary audience of our worship is the Lord Himself. He alone is worthy of all of our worship in every season, in every circumstance. See, God doesn't change even when our circumstances do. He is still on his throne and he is still worthy of our praise. I can admit though, sometimes, sometimes it's difficult to praise the Lord. When it comes to worshiping here on Sundays, you might have a million reasons not to participate. Maybe you got in a fight with your spouse on the car ride to church, or maybe your kids made you late and that was really frustrating, or maybe you're self-conscious about your singing voice, or, or maybe you've just had a tough week and you come to church and you just don't feel like worshiping. Whatever the reason, I believe that Paul and Silas can give us a bit of a sobering perspective here. As we stand up and sing in this beautiful facility with air conditioning and padded seats, Paul and Silas were singing in a dark, smelly, musty prison cell. And to add to that, they had just been beaten with rods. They were in a great deal of pain, likely with a few broken ribs, and yet they managed to get enough breath in their lungs to sing out to the Lord. It makes our reasons not to sing a little petty, doesn't it? And I'd encourage you not to use the excuse that I don't feel like worshiping today, but to ask yourself the question instead, is God worthy of my worship today? Pastor Mark Batterson says that nothing is more difficult than praising God when everything seems to be going wrong. But one of the purest forms of worship is praising God even when you don't feel like it because it shows God that your worship isn't based on circumstances Worship is based on the character of God. And the reality is, is that worship, it costs us something. With the shape that Paul and Silas were in, singing was probably painful. They probably didn't feel like worshiping when they were injured and they were tired and, and they were miserable. But they did it. Because the Lord is honored when we give him costly worship. And there's a reason why in Hebrews we read that we're to bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord because worship is costly. And our worship may, may cost us our, our time or our energy or our resources or our commitment. 
I remember a story about a worship pastor who received a phone call from an elderly gentleman in his church, and the worship pastor picked up the phone, and he knew who it was, and he was just bracing himself for, you know, another complaint about the volume of the music, or the style of the music, or the lack of hymns, and all that kind of stuff. But to his surprise, the the man on the other end of the line, he said, I'd like to have some voice lessons. Do you know where I can find a teacher? And the worship pastor was got a little confused and he was like, oh man, he wants to audition for the worship team. This is not going to be a good scenario. But, but the man was like, I don't want to sing on the stage at all. I, I just want to become a better singer so I can be a better worshiper on Sunday mornings. And the worship pastor was like, wait, 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 let me get this straight. So you want to pay for voice lessons and practice regularly just so you can sit out in the congregation and be a better worshiper? And the man kind of chuckled to himself and he's like, Yeah, basically, because I've always used my poor singing voice as an excuse not to worship. And I do want to become a better worshiper, not just a better singer, but a better worshiper. And this gentleman was going to give up his time. He was going to give up his money just to worship the Lord better. I think that's an awesome example of commitment to worshiping the Lord. If, if we want to be able to sing songs to the Lord when we go through seasons of suffering, we must commit ourselves to worship daily. And that's our first sub-point. I must commit myself to worship daily. And the reality is that worship doesn't just happen when we are faced with trials. It, it will not just come naturally to us. Oswald Chambers in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says this. He says, It is not the crisis that builds something within us. It simply reveals what we are made of already. You won't rise to the occasion unless you have done so on God's training ground. And what Oswald Chambers is saying here is that if we hope to worship the Lord when we are suffering, we must be training ourselves to do it each and every day. And I firmly believe that just like reading our Bibles and praying is a spiritual discipline, singing is also a spiritual discipline that we need to cultivate in our lives. And Paul and Silas didn't just start singing songs when when they were in prison. Those songs were their natural response to their situation because I believe that they sang those songs in their everyday lives as well. I've quoted this psalm in every single message in this series But I believe that it's so important to our spiritual lives. Psalm 145 verse 2 says, Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. And just like reading our Bibles and and praying to the Lord, singing should be a part of our daily lives. And I make it my aim not just to sing on Sundays when we're all together, but to be singing songs of praise to the Lord throughout the week. And a great way to do this is just take the songs that we sang this past Sunday and just just find them online. Maybe that's, you know, through Spotify or iTunes or YouTube, or you can go old school and buy the CD if you want. And you you can praise the Lord with these songs, you know, whether it's on your commute to work or while you're exercising, while you're doing the dishes, you know, even when you're at work. Whatever time and space you find to sing out to the Lord, make it a discipline and do it regularly. Well, it's not only important in our lives to to sing out to the Lord, we need to be teaching the next generation to do so as well. Psalm 145 continues in verse 4 and says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And it's important that we're teaching the next generation 
to worship the Lord. And each night before Lindsay and I put our two sons, Sammy and Theo, to bed, we, we read a Bible story together, we pray, but we also sing a worship song. Sammy likes to call them God songs. And even though Sammy, he's three, and Theo's one, like they're really young, we want worship to be a part of their everyday life. And we're intentional about singing songs, you know, not only at bedtime, but at other times during the day, because we've seen it pay off in their lives. And last year, when we were all worshiping online, my wife Lindsay took this picture of our son Sammy. And that was just unprompted. He just raised his hands up to the Lord, and you can't see that in this picture, but he has a little red plastic guitar slung around his neck as well. And the fact is, people, including our children, they're watching us. And we must model for them what it looks like to worship the Lord. And when we sing to the Lord every day, we have songs to sing in times of trouble. So we're to commit ourselves to worshiping the Lord daily so that we are ready when, to face trials when they come. But when those trials come, what, what actually happens in our lives when we worship through suffering? What happens is we gain perspective on our problems. And that's our second sub-point. When, when I worship an audience of one, I gain perspective on my problems. And as Paul and Silas were singing in that prison cell, I can imagine that they started to realize, hey, maybe God is up to something here. You know, as we saw before, Paul and Silas, they didn't do anything wrong and they ended up in prison. And so as they began to focus on the Lord and pray and sing, I, I bet they started to realize we're here for a reason. God must be doing something. I bet he's going to do something big. So let's keep on worshiping and, and let's see what happens. And I believe that they started to gain perspective on their situation. But in Psalm 54, we see an awesome illustration of how through worship we can gain perspective on our problems. And so let's keep our place in Acts 16, but let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 54 and we're going to look at it just briefly together. And throughout the Psalms, we see that David chooses to praise the Lord despite his circumstances. And in this particular Psalm, David's in a tough spot. He was running for his life away from King Saul, who was seeking to kill him. And so let's read Psalm chapter 54. We're going to just read the whole Psalm. It's only seven verses. Let's read starting in verse one. It says, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. And we see, we see three things real quick in this psalm that, that can help us gain perspective on our problems. First, in verses one through three, we see that David talks to God. He turns to the Lord and he tells him about his situation. He says, save me, O God, hear my prayer. Violent men have sought my life. And instead of being upset with God for his predicament, David just turns to God, he talks to him, and he's, he's honest with him. So, so David first talks to God, and secondly, in verses four and five, David talks to himself about God. He says, God is my helper. 
He is the sustainer of my soul. David didn't just talk to God about his problems. He talked to his problems about his God. David reminded himself of of God's power and and his sovereignty and his love. and, And David took his eyes off of his problems and he fixed them squarely on the Lord. He stopped focusing on what was wrong with his circumstance and instead started focusing on what was right with God. So, so David first talks to God about his problems and then he next talks to his problems about his God. And lastly, in verses six and seven, we see that David chooses to worship. He says, willingly, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name for it is good. See, when we worship, our eyes are fixed on the Lord and and we can cast our cares on him and our problems don't seem so scary when we see how big our God is. We're given a godly perspective and, and that gives us confidence that he is with us and he will see us through this difficulty. Well, when I was finishing up my undergraduate degree in Canada, I was trying to figure out what my next step in life was. I I knew that God was calling me to lead worship, but I didn't know what that looked like and in what context. And that's about all I knew. And I also had a girlfriend at the time, and, and she was pushing me towards getting engaged. And before I graduated, a pastor friend of mine approached me and and let me know that there was a church in town that they were looking for a worship leader, and he thought that would be an awesome fit, and so he recommended me for it. And I was really interested, and so I started the interview process. And and so I was kind of like, okay, God, I guess this is is what we're doing. This is is my life path. I'm going to be this worship leader at this church, and I'm going to get married to this girl, and and everything's going to be awesome. But the reality was that God had other plans. See, as I was praying through that situation, I was praying through the job opportunity at the church, and I was praying through my relationship with this girl, whether to kind of take things to the next level, God clearly spoke into my situation. And I've never audibly heard the voice of the Lord, but this was about as close as I could get in my life, I think. And, And I heard these words from the Lord. He said, Scott, she's not the one for you. Go to liberty. And and it kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, Liberty University, like, why would I just leave all this and and go down there? But I felt such a peace about that direction. I I can't explain it. And and so I made that hard decision, and and I broke off that relationship with that girl, and I turned down the job, and I packed my bag and headed down to Liberty University. And all I knew was that, you know, I was going to do a master's degree in worship, and that was about it. I didn't know what God had for me. But, but in that time, you know, it, it was a struggle for me. It was really hard to leave, you know, my family and my friends and, and break that relationship off and, and turn down that job. It was really hard to give up my plans. And it was a trial for me. It was difficult in my life. But when I focused on the Lord, he reminded me that his plans are so much better than my plans. And so I just had to trust him. And so he helped me in that moment just gain perspective on my problems, gain perspective on the situation that I was facing. And I had no idea that not only would my education truly equip me for what God was calling me to, but all those things I desired in Canada, he restored to me a wife and a church to serve. And I got down to Liberty in August of 2011. And on my first day of classes, I met a girl named Lindsay Savola. And uh, guess what? We've been married eight years now, have two kids and another on the way. And, And not only did God provide for me a spouse, but he provided a church opportunity and a church to serve. 
A month after I began at Liberty, I randomly out of the blue got a phone call from a guy named John Wellborn, who was the lead pastor of Crosslink here in Harrisonburg. I didn't know him from Adam, but God opened the door for me to lead worship while I was at school. And I officially began at Crosslink on November 21st, 2011. This fall, it'll be 10 years that I've been able to be a part of Crosslink, and God has blessed me immeasurably in being a part of this church. And, and it, it was really hard for me to give up my plans that I had in Canada and, and to leave my home country and my family and my friends and, and, again, just turn down that job and break up with that girl. But in retrospect, what God had for me in Virginia was so much better than what I was pursuing in Canada. And looking back, I can see now that that relationship with that girl, it was, it was pretty toxic. And I think that if I had married her, I, I probably would have been miserable for the rest of my life. And the, and the church that I was interviewing for, you know, I, they've been through much transition and challenge over the years. And when I chose to honor the Lord by obeying him, God not only gave me perspective on my problems and trusting him, but he blessed me beyond belief. And that brings us to our third subpoint: that when we worship through times of uncertainty and trial, the result is that the Lord responds in power. That's the next blank in your worship guide. The Lord responds in power. So let's turn our attention back to Acts 16. And so in verse 26 of Acts 16, we see that God not only heard Paul and Silas' songs as they were singing in prison, but, but while they were singing... God brings this great earthquake, causing the chains of all the prisoners to fall off and the prison doors to open. There's power in praise. And the the fact is that we worship a powerful God. He can part the seas. He can make the sun stand still. He can feed the 5,000. He can heal the blind. He can raise the dead. And as we see in Acts 16, he can set the prisoner free. So whatever you are suffering with today, God has the power to change your circumstance. But will he? Not necessarily. You see, trials can come into our lives for a variety of reasons, and oftentimes the Lord wants to teach us something through them. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And a wise man I know, you may know him too, named Matthew Kirkland, once said, trials come to either correct us or perfect us. In our times of trial, God will either change our circumstance or he will change our hearts. And God's power is needed to change our circumstance, but his power is also needed to change our hearts. So, so don't waste your trial. Don't, don't waste your suffering. Seek the Lord and allow him to work in powerful ways in your life and through your life. Because Our times of suffering are not just for us. We saw that before, that people are watching. They are looking to how we will respond to trials in our lives. And that leads us to the second audience of worship and our second main point in the message today, the church hears my songs. The church hears my songs. Our times of trial can not only be a benefit to us, but they can benefit others as well. 
And we've talked about how in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are singing. But why do you think they chose to sing? I mean, they could have silently prayed to themselves. But I I believe they were doing so to encourage and edify each other. There's something contagious about singing, something that bolsters the soul. And as Paul and Silas sang together, I'm sure that it gave them hope that God was with them and he was working this situation for his glory and their good. And they weren't just singing softly either. They were in the inner prison cell, isolated from all the other prisoners. And what do we see in verse 25? It says that the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were not being shy about their love for God and their desire to encourage each other. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In this passage of scripture, Paul is instructing us to sing to each other. And when believers sing together, we are edified. And sometimes we can be so consumed with our own lives and our own issues and problems that we forget that God's story is so much bigger than our circumstance. When we come together in this place to worship the Lord, it can remind us that there are others out there that have gone through struggles and the Lord has been with them and they made it through the other side. And, and we can remember the incredible things that God has done in the midst of our church family and what he has accomplished in our church as a whole. And we just remember that, that God's still working. He, he's still moving even though we may be struggling. And when we worship, we collectively just lay our burdens down. We, we set our circumstances aside and we together just focus our hearts and our minds on the Lord. Mark Batterson says, worship is forgetting about what's wrong with you. It restores the joy of your salvation, even when everything seems to be going wrong. I don't know about you, but one of the most encouraging things to me is seeing someone in our congregation just worshiping the Lord with their hands raised and singing at the top of their lungs. And I know that they just lost their job or that they lost a parent to cancer or that they just had a miscarriage. That kind of faith, that kind of worship, it strengthens my soul. And I may be the one who's often up here leading you guys in worship, but, but when I see others engaging with the Lord in that way, you lead me in worship. You give me hope in my seasons of discouragement and struggle. When you worship in the midst of trials, it's, it's not just for you, but your worship encourages other believers as well. And when I think about people who have suffered in this life and, and been just an encouragement and a challenge to others, my mind often goes to Job. And the Bible tells us that the Job was a man of faith, that he was upright and blameless. And God blessed Job in many different ways. He, he gave him 10 children and many, many possessions. Job was a wealthy man. In fact, the Bible tells us in Job chapter one that Job was the greatest of all the people in the East. But one day Satan approached God and he asked to test Job. Satan thought that if he could make Job suffer enough that Job would turn his back on God and that he would recant his faith and curse God. So 
God gave Satan permission to test him. In the first chapter of Job, we read that one day a messenger came to Job and he reported that his oxen and his donkeys were stolen and his servants had been killed. And before that messenger could even finish, another came up and told Job that that all of his sheep had been burned with fire. And before that messenger could finish, another came up and told him that all his camels had been stolen. In a matter of minutes, Job lost all of his earthly possessions, all of his wealth. It was just gone. And if that wasn't enough, another messenger comes and tells him that all of his 10 sons and daughters were eating together in a house and the house collapsed and they were all killed. So not only did Job lose all of his possessions, He lost all of his children, whom he dearly loved. And after receiving all of this news just in a matter of minutes, Job 1, verse 20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. What? He worshipped? How many of us would have torn our clothes and fell to the ground and said, why, God, why? Why would you do this to me? Why would you take away everything I have and everyone that I love? But Job worshipped. And then he made this statement in verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, to have faith like Job. He set an incredible example for all believers of how to suffer well for God's glory. There have been countless believers that have read the story of Job and been encouraged in their seasons of suffering. And when you worship through tough times, believers are edified. But not only that, unbelievers are pointed to Christ. And that leads to our third audience of worship and the final point in our message today, that the world hears our songs. Well, in verse 27 of Acts 16, after the Lord causes this earthquake to free Paul and Silas and the other prisoners, we see that the jailer, he wakes up from all of this commotion. And quickly realizing what had happened and and that the prisoners had likely escaped, the jailer draws his sword with the intent to take his own life. And he did so because in Roman law, if a jailer lost his prisons, he was given the same punishment that was sentenced to the prisoners. And it was clear that this jailer would have rather taken his own life rather than receive the, the shame of public execution. And Paul must have heard the jailer wake up because he yelled out, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer rushed in to see Paul and Silas and he fell before them saying, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the the jailer's response here is, is kind of puzzling. Why would he just fall down before Paul and Silas and ask how he could be saved? How did he know that Paul and Silas even knew the way of salvation? And why would the jailer believe them even if they claimed to know how they could be saved? I believe that the jailer's response is a direct result of Paul and Silas's singing. I'd imagine that the songs that they were singing were all about Jesus and, and how he is the only way to be saved. 
And if the other prisoners were listening, I would imagine that the jailer was listening to the songs as well. And Paul and Silas basically preached the gospel to the entire jail just through their songs. In the same way, when we gather together, we proclaim the gospel not only through the word that we hear spoken in the sermon, but also through the songs that we sing. And more than anything else, I believe that our worship is one of the greatest testimonies that we truly believe the gospel. And when someone visits our church, yes, they are greeted by a smiling face as they come in, and I hope that they feel welcome. And they will hear a message that proclaims the gospel, but it's our singing that truly shows people what we believe. We can proclaim truth until we're blue in the face, but until we see it in action, it's just empty words to people. Pastor Tim Keller says, referring to unbelievers, he says, we are not simply to communicate the gospel to them, but to celebrate the gospel before them. If people see a church that is passionate and excited to worship the Lord then, and, and genuinely thankful for all that he has done for them, that, that shows people that, that our faith is more than just lip service. It shows people that Jesus has changed our lives. And I deeply desire for Crosslink to be known in our community as a church full of people that have been radically changed by Jesus. Well, let's take that thought and just apply that to the situation with the Philippian jailer. So Paul and Silas proclaim the gospel through these songs, but that still begs the question, why would the jailer believe them? Why would he believe that what they were singing about was true? I'm convinced that it was because despite their suffering, Paul and Silas were passionate and joyful in their worship of the Lord. Their actions spoke louder than the words of their songs. Commentator John Phillips says, the other prisoners heard the name of Jesus, heard the message of salvation, heard the stately stanzas of the Psalms, but they had also heard the commotion, the curses, the command that the two men be secured fast, uh, securely fastened. They would expect to hear blasphemies from that isolation hole in the inner prison. Instead, to their astonishment, they heard hymns. How you respond in the midst of trials says more about your faith than just about anything else. There's no greater witness to the world than when you worship the Lord in your suffering. And when your neighbors or coworkers or family and friends, they know what you're going through and yet you still possess this joy and this peace and this hope, they don't get it. They can't understand it because it's not something that comes naturally to us as humans. When we're suffering, everything in us just wants to complain and despair. But it's the working of the Holy Spirit that can give us that joy and that peace and that patience in the midst of it all. And that's when people will pull you aside, just like the Philippian jailer, and ask you, how can I be saved? How do I get what you have? And then with joy, we can respond like Paul and Silas. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The world hears when we worship through our trials. And we've seen today that when we worship the Lord in midst of suffering, when we sing songs in the night, that the Lord hears our songs, that the church hears our songs, and that the world hears our songs. And worship pastor and author Mike Cosper says, worship that celebrates the gospel brings all three audiences together. The God who saves by the gospel 
the church formed by the gospel and the world in need of the gospel. As we conclude the message today, I just want to share a story in my own life of how the Lord led me to worship him through a season of trial and suffering. And my family has experienced a lot of loss in the last two years. I've had a total of five family members pass away in that time. And one of them was my nephew named Ellis. In 2019, my brother and his wife were excited to be expecting their second child, a little boy, in April of that year. And when my sister-in-law was 32 weeks pregnant, she noticed that the baby was, was moving a lot, and then all of a sudden, she didn't feel any movement. She didn't feel any movement for a while, and she thought it was odd. So she went to her OB and, and got checked out. And I still remember the text that I got from my brother. It said, please pray, they can't find the baby's heartbeat. And my sister-in-law was, was rushed to the hospital, but it was too late. Their son didn't make it. On February 22nd, that little baby boy came into the world. But as my brother and his wife held his little body, he was already in the arms of Jesus. And they named him Ellis. A few days after that, Lindsay and Sammy and I, we went up to Canada to be with my family and to mourn with them. And we got back late on a Saturday night and we were all exhausted, but I really wanted to come to church the next day. And so I, I came here to Crossing. I remember I was, I was sitting right over there. And it was actually the first time that I just attended a service and, and wasn't serving in any way. And I remember that morning that Kyle Scaife was leading worship and he sang a song called Yes, I Will. And the lyrics are, Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. And I remember in that moment just crying out to the Lord and just worshiping through my pain and grief and sorrow. And he just brought this incredible peace and comfort as I sang and I worshiped him. Well, what about you? If you're going through a trial today, if you are suffering I'd encourage you to worship your way through it, to take your eyes off of your circumstances and fix them squarely on the Lord. And with every trial comes an invitation to worship. With every trial comes an invitation to worship. Allow the Lord to use your suffering for his glory and to encourage others and to be a witness to those around you. And as a church, we want to be here for you. We say it every single week, but we truly mean it. Our prayer team's up here at the front. They would love to pray with you about whatever is going on in your life. Our pastors want to be available to you to counsel you and help you through your struggle. Maybe you're suffering today. Maybe today you're, you're here and, and like the Philippian jailer, you've never been saved. I'd invite you to just repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus to save you today. And if you'd like to make that decision again, I just encourage you, come up to the front after the service. Our prayer team would love to tell you about how you can have a relationship with the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you that 
your word gives us comfort in our times of suffering, that, that we can read in your, your word that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and whatever we're going through, you can walk with us through that circumstance. And Lord, I thank you for the example of Paul and Silas. I, I thank you for the example of Job and, and many others who have suffered greatly in this life, but they chose to worship. And I just thank you for the gift that is singing out to you and worshiping you and, and how that can just comfort and bring peace to our souls. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that may be suffering. God, I pray that today that they would fix their eyes on you, that they would remember who you are and that they would worship through this time. And Lord, I also lift up anyone that, that may not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And I just pray that, God, today would be the day that they, they give up their plans and they surrender to you. And they, they recognize that, that they need to accept your free gift of salvation because you paid for our sins on the cross and it promised us eternal life. So Lord, I, I lift up those individuals to you today. God, I love you. Just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.